squad always whets the rugby appetite. There'll be crowds at the games too. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. We'll hear the excitement and emotion of the Wales women who've just become professional rugby players. And WIU Chief Executive Steve Phillips will react to the news that Wales home games in the Six Nations will be played in front of crowds. We'll start with the Wales squad for the Six Nations and a chance to hear at length the thinking of coach Wayne Pivak, looking through the players selected ahead to the opening game in Ireland and explaining the reasons why he chose outside half Dan Bigger as captain. A number of things we look at, obviously we've lost 680 caps, so it's a lot of experience gone. Dan brings a wealth of experience, wealth of experience in this competition. Also, you know, we're looking at form, we're looking at players that are competing in different positions. And uh, the captain has to have a guaranteed bolted-on uh, position in the team, I guess. And we think that Dan at the moment is the form 10. And in the other positions, there's a lot of competitions. So we've gone with Dan. He, as I say, brings that, that experience. We've also named um, Adam Beard as a vice-captain because well aware that Dan and others will go back for certain days of, the, of certain weeks. So it's important that we have a, a leader ready to take over. And in Adam Beard, we've got somebody who we're probably earmarking for the future post-World Cup probably, but he's a guy that uh, we think has a big future with leadership attached as well. Dan's always been a, a talkative presence on the field. Will he have to tone it down at all, do you think? Oh, look, I think uh, it'll add to Dan's game. It's obviously uh, well documented that Dan is uh, a highly motivated player. He's very competitive and, you know, he speaks his mind and certainly we don't want to change him as a competitive player and we want him now, uh, obviously, to take on the role there as a captain and that and the duties that go with that and the way we, we work with referees. The uncapped players and the forwards, uh, can you talk us through uh, their attributes, please? Yeah, well, Dowie Lake is somebody that uh, you recall in 2019, we had four youngsters join the group for learning purposes and uh, he was one of those guys. So he's been earmarked from a, a young age as part of the uh, pathway system here in Wales. He's captain Wales under 20s. I just think he brings a physical presence. He's 112 kilos. He's the biggest hooker running around in Wales. He's going to be a very destructive player as time goes by. He's, he's very good over the ball. He's a strong ball carrier. We need big ball carriers. We've lost a lot of experience in some of our better ball carriers through injury. So, you know, what he brings will make up for some of the absences that we do have. People talk about his throwing when he was in camp with us for the Six Nations 2020 and the... Barbar's game I mentioned, he improved uh, out of sight. So we'd expect um, with a concentrated effort over and above what he's doing with his club that uh, that will improve. And so we think it's a good time to get him in there. Uh, you've also got uh, James Ratty, a recent convert to the back row, and Jack Morgan, who's been uh, tipped for a couple of years probably to be a Wales cap. Yeah, well, Jack comes in a position where, you know, we have a lot of competition. And uh, we discussed Jack probably in the autumn series when he was left out of the squad and we um, put our money behind uh, Tane Basham, and I think you saw the results of that selection. In the autumn, he played very, very well, and I think he's still got lots to improve in his game, and, and Tane will be working hard again in this competition. Jack now, with again, with, with injuries, gets an opportunity. We know he's very good over the ball. He has a high work rate in the game, and we'll look to add to his game and see if we can develop him further throughout this competition. James Ratty is in a position where we don't have a lot of number eights in this country. He's converted from second row, so... You know, he's got good size. What we want to do is just add to his game again. 
in terms of his attacking game and defensive game, but we think he brings raw ingredients that with a bit of time and work, we can keep improving him as a player. And with the World Cup just around the corner, I think we need to be looking ahead as well as the here and now. And those selections are about not only the here and now, but um, looking ahead as well. Of the long-term injured, if I can put it that way, how close is Ross Moriarty to uh, fitness and uh, any of the other big names, the Lions guys, expected back later in the tournament? Yeah, we're hopeful. Obviously, we're in, in close contact with in communications with the clubs and their medical teams and head coaches. So Ross is on track to play, uh, not this weekend, the Dragons don't play, but the following weekend. So he'll be released from camp to play and get a game under his belt and comes through that. Then obviously he'll be available for selection, uh, hopefully for Ireland. So yeah, that's a welcomed return uh, for Ross. Last couple of months have been difficult times for the Welsh pro sides, through no fault of their own in a, a lot of cases, but... No wins in, in Europe and a shortage of game time. How concerned are you by the state of readiness of those players? Preparing this squad is going to be the most challenging for us so to date. Just selecting the squad was a really interesting exercise. As you've mentioned, it's well documented with the, the COVID that's been going on, the COVID cases in a couple of the clubs and being stuck in South Africa. It hasn't been ideal for a lot of players. You know, Wynne Jones, I think, has had the one game now. Um, Jonathan Davies the same since the autumn so look that's not ideal preparation for any player so look I know they've been doing a lot of hard work behind the scenes and we'll be doing our best over the first couple of weeks to get as much volume into them without breaking them as we can and there's a fine balance but we've got to get them up to play test rugby and and we know that takes a bit of work so look those players you know through no fault of their own have been put in this situation so it's just working together with the clubs and making sure that we've got the right information from them and in terms of the selection we think we have and, and we'll see how we go from there. Given all that and uh, despite the fact that you're um, defending champions this tournament, can you uh, claim any sort of underdog status, do you think, going in? Yeah, like I think when you read the bottom two lines of, of the press release with the injured, I think there's about eight or nine players, there's 680 test caps. So I challenge any side to lose that amount of experience and uh, to come out overconfident. We're confident in the ability of the squad. It's the first two weeks are going to be critical how much work we can get into the boys to get up to speed. So it's going to be a great challenge, but certainly for us, it's about starting the competition well and building as we did last year. The usual cliche, but the island game becomes paramount for us and getting off to a, a good start. And we know the challenge that uh, awaits us there because uh, history will tell you that it's not, not an easy place to go. Is it helpful in a way that Dan is a fly half who likes to talk and so therefore making him captain given that he's now the only one who officially can sort of speak to a referee? All 10s, um, you know, they're part of the, the group of players that manage the game for us. So, you know, they're working closely with coaches on strategies. Um, he's a very big part of the leadership group, whether he's captain or not, as part of the decision-making process on the field, being a goal kicker. So, look, there's not a lot of change for Dan, except he gets um, a little bit more leeway to talk to referees than, than he normally does. And, what we've got to do is make sure that, you know, we use that to our advantage and uh, the relationships, uh, the ones that we need. And you mentioned it just then. I mean, you could have an easier start than Ireland away. What do you make of them as a side? You know, watching them in the autumns, they, they were very, very good. Both Ireland, France were exceptional against the All Blacks, who are a quality side, obviously. And to see what they did to a team like Argentina, we're going to be have to prepare very, very well to perform the way we'd like to against Ireland. You know, they're a team that can strangle you with the ball. They hold possession long periods of time. So your defence has got to be 
up to speed and then uh, you've got to take your scoring opportunities when they come. So, look, it's going to be one where uh, we've really got to prepare very well. You obviously left Adam Beard out. I think it was the Autumn Nations Cup in 2020. And since then, he's a Six Nations winner. He's gone on the Lions Tour. And the sky seems to be the limit at the moment. What have you made of his sort of last 18 months and where he's going? Well, the good thing is he's got plenty of room for improvement. And he knows that there's parts of his game that he's working on to improve. So that's exciting. Look, he's a player that... You know, he's gone away and taken the setback very, very well. He's gone and done everything we've asked him to do. And he shows to other players that if you get disappointment, so long as you go away and take it in the right way, any constructive criticism coming your way and work on it, then there's no reason why you can't come back and do very, very well at the top level of the game. Um, so I'm very pleased for the efforts that he's put in and he's deserved all those selections along the way. Wayne, how relieved were you when the Welsh Government changed the policy on crowds in stadiums? Oh, very, very pleased. Very happy, not only for ourselves, because the importance of having, you know, a crowd in, in a home fixture, looking at um, the opposition, obviously, having crowds. So we would have been very desperately uh, disappointed not to have had crowds, but certainly happy. Uh, I know that the public are very excited, the people that I bump into. Uh, I think there'll be a rush now to pick up the last few tickets that are left for the home games and look it's just every kid's dream to play for his country and then to play in front of uh, 75,000 Welsh supporters in that stadium it's just you have to be there to experience it and to be fortunate enough to be in the squad whether it's a player or member of management it's um, it's just it's like a drag it's just you're on a high and it's just something that you know you want to get more and more of and th these boys are no different so they're really really pleased that the fans can be there to enjoy it as well. Just tactically, in terms of the team's evolution, with the injuries, are you still able to carry out the plans that you wanted to put in? You always look at firepower that we have at hand and, and sometimes you have to adjust things. Look, at the moment, we'll get them in in that first week. We'll have a good look at some of the players we haven't worked with before, assess them, and then um, you know settle on a selection for Ireland as early as we can and give that side time to run together. So look, we'd like to think that a lot won't change, that we'll still want to score tries, we'll still want to attack where we can. But again, we've got to be able to play an all-court game. So, you know, there's got to be a balance in our game that's going to suit the opposition, the conditions we're playing in, in the referees, match officials. Yes, all those factors are important. But as Wayne said there, so is the return of crowds for the Six Nations, even though Wales did indeed win it last year without. WRU Group Chief Executive Steve Phillips explained why the return of crowds for the Six Nations didn't just happen by chance. Don't underestimate our well we work with welsh government because given what we are you know rugby is part of our dna you know there's a mutual respect between us and the welsh government so dare i say it you know if i don't speak to them every day it's at least every other day particularly throughout the pandemic including the recent lockdown so we have a very um open relationship and i think we've got a respect we need to align with the welsh government because you know their primary driver here to protect the nation and we want to play a part here now, of course, the flip side, of course, you know, they also understand rugby is part of the Welsh DNA, Six Nations an institution. It's all about kind of working together, really, Bev. So how important is it that, you know, not only the Six Nations are back, but also crowds can go and see their local rugby club? Don't forget, it's not just about Wales Six Nations. Let's not forget our regional colleagues now who, you know, later this month can, uh, can host matches. Now, you know, of course, they've had support through the TATA fund the Welsh government announced. But let's not forget our regional colleagues and... The community game, they're very, very clever people and, you know, they will be scrambling around now to put the games on. And don't forget, there's a whole knock-on effect here now. You, you get back, you know, people back watching, not only will they be back playing, because some people weren't playing because of various challenges, 
you now get people to watching them. They'll now get people back in the club. The clubs are looking to sell tickets. A, a crazy two years for everyone. How much are you looking forward to that home crowd um, against Scotland for the first time in a Six Nations for two years? I was one of the, uh, you know, one of the privileged people, if I can use that expression, that watched the Six Nations last year. So, of course, you know, we played England and Ireland home. No crowds. It was a very surreal experience and uh, one I hope to never, never repeat. So in terms of things I was dreading was another one of those things where I pretty much had the stage into myself and I never want to go there, back there again. Game on, the Principality Stadium, it's, it's a hugely impressive venue. We're incredibly proud of it, but it is the fans that make it home for everybody. We're now a month away. Now it'll be a scramble, but you know, we'll resource properly and you know, we think we can make massive inroads of putting on the event because like I said, you know, we need to organise the police, the ambulance, there's casual employment. You know, we've probably got nigh on 2,000 people who work on match day and getting the wider impact into to Cardiff. But we were getting very, very close, go no go here. Based on the sort of recent conversation we had with government, we were probably either way going to be playing in Cardiff now. But it was a very, very thin line. But at least, you know, it was against the backdrop of trying to do the right thing in Wales as well. listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. It's one to Wales women and of course the news this week of players being given retainer contracts to allow them to train more as a group. That follows the naming last week of the full-time pros. Scrum half Fian Lewis was one of them. Fian's drawn strength from her rugby-loving family including brother Flex who's a champion bodybuilder and she's now taking a sabbatical from a teaching job in Merthyr. So, how did she hear the news? I was actually on the way back from a first aid course with work and I was stressing because I couldn't answer the phone call and you all kept phoning me and I was like, oh, I was in this course. I was like, oh, something must be wrong. I must have done something. I obviously didn't expect, like, that was the reason why I was phoning. I was in the car and I was like, is that okay? And he told me and I was like, I did not expect that. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Like, I rang my boyfriend straight away and I was crying and he was crying. Um, oh, like, look, it's every play, rugby player's dream, you know, we fought for this for so long, like to be able to give 100% of rugby was something we've all wanted to do, it's going to be massive, you know, like always having to balance rugby, work, uh, study, so it's going to be exciting to see the difference, like in us individually and collectively, now we can just give 100% and see how much we can progress, so yeah, I'm, it's really overwhelming, but I'm just so, so excited, like I haven't stopped smiling. <laughs> And a pretty good job up in, in Merthyr and, and you're taking a sabbatical from it. So obviously keeping the links there, but just describe the decision to go full time with rugby and, and take that sabbatical. I can't deny it. It's been really difficult. Like I absolutely love my job. Like I'm so lucky to work in such an incredible school. Like I started in September and they've been so supportive of my rugby like from the beginning. You know, I work with an incredible department um, the pupils are great. Like, don't go to work. Like, oh, it's a chore. I wake up and I, I love being there. So it has been really hard. I've had many days in school crying to my head of department. So like, oh, I, you know, am I, I don't know what to do. Am I, am, I, am I making the right decision? Because, you know, we've built this, you know, we've worked hard to build a career. We didn't ex- expect this to just come like it has. So, but on the flip of that, it's just a once in a lifetime opportunity. I try to be a role model for my pupils through my rugby and through my teaching and it's the advice that I 
the teacher said to me, like, you can still be that role model, just in a different light now. And I hope I can still be an ambassador to them. <laughs> They're not seeing the back of me. I'll be there hopefully as much as I can throughout the year. But um, it's an incredible opportunity and I wouldn't want to look back on this in a few years and regret it. I've always wanted to give 100% to rugby. That's something I feel like I haven't been able to do before. I say to myself, like, if, you know, we can perform individually and collectively now, what is more left in us to improve and progress by giving 100% to it? So, yeah, bigger picture, some hard conversations. Yeah, my, my boyfriend and my family have also been so supportive and I can't thank them enough to obviously have my back on this as well. But, yeah, Bishop Headley, I can't speak highly of them. I am so lucky that, um, I've, yeah, I've worked with such incredible people because I wouldn't be sat here now if they didn't support me like they have. So, yeah, very lucky. I'm not the first professional sports person in your family. What <laughs> what advice have you had from your brother? Well, he's, he's trying to fight for the favourite child spot now, I think. <laughs> no, um, look, they've always... My family are very rugby-driven. We've, all, we've been brought up for rugby. You know, my brother's played. We've been Scarlet's fans and bought and bred Scarlet. You know, we've always been at the games. having season tickets since we were younger. Like, play, like I've played... From Scars for Asia, we're all like rugby driven, so it's huge. Like when they come home from America, we're always going to watch Scarlet's games. You know, we go to on a boxing day, it's like a tradition for us. So they are so thrilled. But I mean, from what he's achieved all these years, like he has a motto, like believe to achieve. That's what he always says throughout, throughout his career so far. And it's something we send through us, through our family with the same motto because it's like if you want something bad enough, no matter if someone tells you you're not good enough or you're never going to make it. You've got to believe in yourself and you've got to have that confidence. I think that's what I've taken from them. You know, he's been my role model growing up. Um, he's gone against the odds and I feel like I've done the same thing. So, yeah, beyond thrilled and excited, challenging him for a <laughs> child spot, like I said. <laughs> you've been extremely busy in the last, <laughs> in the last period of time. <laughs> <laughs> Work, lots and lots and lots of rugby of different types. Is life yeah. actually going to be a, a bit simpler for you now? Yeah, again, another difficult thing was obviously with rugby league. I had a shoulder up a year ago and then going into Six Nations selection didn't go my way and I wasn't involved. It was something that was really, really hard for me to take. Like, my whole rugby journey to this date has not been easy. Like it took me a fair, like a fair few years to be capped, like making extended squads, then making the actual squad, but not making day squads. Then I had my fair share of travel reserve and then finally making a match day. So it's just chipping away, chipping away. And then, yeah, not being included in the situation last year was really took a toll on me a lot. And I was in this place where I was kind of like, do I stop playing? Do I not? Yeah, it took a toll on me, but rugby league came, the opportunity was there and I haven't looked back. It's honestly the best thing I've done. It just reinstilled confidence in me that I lost and my love for the game. Like Tom Brindle, who was my rugby league coach, it was a massive impact on me to really just reignite my confidence really and tell me that, you know, you are good enough and give me opportunity to show that. So, yeah, and get to captain them as well. Obviously, a massive honour. Love that. Be sad that I have to hand my captaincy over now because obviously this is my new commitment, but... With the World Cup and the year it was, I understood going into this year that I'd have to change my priorities slightly. So it was something that we've had conversations with, but never easy to hand that captaincy band over. But I'll be supporting the girls. If I can be there, supporting them from the crowd, I'll be there 100%. Is it the first game of the autumn, you know, when all the kids came down? And I bet it's just lovely having that support there in person as well. 
Yeah, so some um, pupils came to like every game. Um, the last game, they organised a massive coach, like a 52-seater. Pupils and, and staff came down. They had banners. They made a banner. <laughs> I just did a mini bus course. They put my face on a mini bus and all the staff were like pictured in the back of the bus. Um, they all had my names. Oh, it was so lovely. They, I could hear them screaming, Miss Lewis, on, when I was on the field. Yeah, we had all the pictures and, and they were brilliant. I was having messages of parents like, thanking me for being a role model and stuff. And I really, that, that really took me to heart. So I was like, that's why I do what I do. Oh, I'm actually talking, I'm talking about it. But yeah, it was amazing. And what's it like going in on a Monday then after playing a game? You know, do, do your pupils, some of them are a bit cheeky and telling you, you know, you work on? Oh yeah, 100%. They, they get the clips up on, or maybe on Twitter or something. Like, um, they'll get a, a, a try or they might have watched the game and they're like, oh, miss, you missed that tackle. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> do you want detention? <laughs> I'll give you a break time. <laughs> but um, no, if anything, they are, they're really supportive. They'll come and tell me, oh, miss, you played well on the weekend. I'm like, oh, did you watch? They're like, yeah. And they'll ask me questions about rugby. And like, they really, like, I think it's just giving me another angle of like, respect from them because they just see what I do on and off the field and they they really buy into, like, wanting to know how, what it's like. And I'm open with them and I, answer any questions because I want to be transparent about it but yeah it's been great always coming in they're coming into the PE office I'm here they come <laughs> if I had a bad game I'm like no I don't want to come in for <laughs> have you been responsible for maybe bringing a bit of girls rugby in, into school in PE or was that already there before you yeah so that was what when I had my interview was what I wanted to bring in I said I wanted my goal a sense I wanted to kind of create like an academy kind of mindset with like with the school itself and like maybe bringing other schools in and creating sessions it's something that I'm going to try and I won't give too much too much away but something I'm going to try and put now with being this kind of ambassador role yeah so when we started I said rugby and the girls like too scared to play rugby but we took your nine and tens to a tournament in actually in Merthyr and they absolutely loved it they'd never played rugby before they, some of them were footballers or like netballers never played I was handed out all my boots I was giving out four pairs of boots to the girls like I got kicked you to wear I was like no excuses and they absolutely loved it honestly I was having them come into my door then in, in um, the next day when's training when's training miss can we play like after when I play and in the autumns I was emails from girls can we start can we start training when's rugby training yeah, definitely was a focus. It was obviously a bit difficult because of COVID. We kind of had to like stop our like extracurricular activities. We couldn't do them, which was such a shame. And we haven't been able to do that this month because that was kind of my focus to start that back up again. But um, like I said, I'm hoping to go back into school now when we've got some time to work with them so that they can't not do rugby. That's my, um, I'm adamant to make sure they can still go. But honestly, they loved it. But it's been great because um, they're seeing like us play and then seeing how much they they want to do it as well. It's amazing. That's what we want. Great. How ambassadors like that for the women's game in Wales. Another of the new pros is Lisa Neumann, based in Manchester and giving up her job as a senior clinical trials data manager. So how did she hear? So I was actually back home in Manchester. I had like a call from Johan. So I was obviously very, very, very nervous. And then, yeah, he'd, he'd offered me a contract over the phone. Yeah, I was absolutely delighted. To be honest, like I didn't ex- didn't expect it at all. So it was a bit of a shock. And you're obviously always nervous when you get a call from the coach. But yeah, I was over the moon, really. Can you think of any like challenges back when you were starting out and just look at how far everything has come on? 
Yeah, so to be honest, I'd probably say I started rugby quite late. You know, I'd done a bit in school and then did some in secondary school. And then, you know, I had a period where I didn't really play and then went to university, played a bit there. And if I'm being honest, I didn't really take it, like I committed to it a lot more once I got into the, the Six Nations squad for the first time, that was like 2018. So that's when I, you know, started playing a lot more, committing to it a lot, a lot more. But looking back, you know, I had, there's a few clubs around where I live, but, you know, it wasn't until I started playing in the Prem 15s where I realised actually, like, had I done this a lot sooner, had I been brought up around rugby, as in like playing week in, week out, you know, it would have been, you know, completely different. So, yeah, I think it's been different for several other players. So I guess I've just started a bit later than some of the other girls. And can you talk to us about your decision then? You've left your employment, haven't you, to take up this contract? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you know what? Once I got the call, I was absolutely delighted. And it's, it's something I've always wanted. As soon as they said they were going to give out contracts, you know, I was I was hoping to be one of them. But you never really know, do you? And I don't want to get my hopes up too much and then be disappointed. So I always thought if I'd get one, I'd definitely take it. So it was always on the cards. I'd, I'd leave my job then. It's a big decision because it's, it's just such a change, isn't it? I'm, I'm moving from, you know, 40-hour week office job now being a full-time athlete. So it was a hard decision in terms of leaving employment. Um, obviously, I live in Manchester as well, so it's a bit different. But just how I'm able now to just focus full-time on rugby is just going to be amazing. Just getting the recovery, focusing on my nutrition is something I've like always wanted to do. So... And you mentioned there being based in Manchester. So normally then, you know, with training, I'm presuming, would you come down for a midweek session and then drive straight back home? Were you getting up for work the following day? Yeah, so it's so it's been so from the very start, um, I used to just drive down. So it's like 200, just over 200 miles one way. And I used to get in at like half one, two o'clock, depending on whether there were diversions or not. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd get up, go into work for about nine-ish, so maybe a bit later than normal. So Looking back, I actually don't know how I managed it. I think maybe when you're a bit younger, you don't mind sort of the late nights. And, you know, it it was like mentally tough. It's like nicer now knowing, even though I've got to do the drive still, I've got more time to, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to try and worry about catching up on work hours. You know, I'm fully involved in just the rugby then. And I don't have to think, oh, actually, I've got a job to go back to. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, still hitting my targets or whatever. So yeah, it's just, it's, it takes off the pressure, I think. It's just a, a stress relief, really, knowing that I don't have to do a full-time job and do the rugby. Can you just maybe run us through a little bit of what did your day-to-day job look like, really? Because, you, you know, it's very, very different from rugby, isn't it? I know. I try and explain this. Even my friends still say, I don't really know what you're doing. But I basically worked in clinical trials. So it was an office job, but I was involved in basically like setting up the clinical trial. So when patients come into the hospital, I basically worked with like the doctors, like nurses to try and figure out exactly what information they need to capture so that the clinical trial goes ahead, basically. So it's a lot of like documentation, a lot of meetings behind the computer screen sort of thing. So very, very different. And what sort of clinical trials were you involved with? Like, what was the kind of aim of some of the trials? Oh, it's very vast. Some were like cancer trials, some were looking at treatments for diabetes. There's so, so many. The last one I worked on was a diabetes trial. So it just depends what you get allocated, really. If you braved those M6 roadworks for all those years, you certainly showed your commitment to the Wales cause, didn't you? 
Yes. Um, honestly, if I say it, looking back, I just, I don't really know how I managed it. But yeah, it was a long drive of just podcasts, music, trying to keep myself awake. Describe the decision. It seems as though from the outside, leaving a job like yours would be a really difficult decision. But talking yeah. to all the players, it sounds as though they're far easier than we might have thought from the outside. Why, why would that be? I think it's so different once you're in it, once you've been doing the long journeys, you've you've committed to rugby for so long, alongside job, you know, all the sacrifices we've made in terms of like family events or anything like that, that we've sacrificed along the way. We've been part of that journey. And I think it's quite, it, it makes the decision easier for us is because we've gone through that. And it's, 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 it's been a struggle, like, uh, you know trying to trying to be an athlete among all the other commitments we've got so for us it's like we know that this is going to make us a better rugby player and I think it's potentially harder for other people to see it because they're not in that environment I guess and a couple of the players are based in England like yourself but how's that going to work because I understand most of the players are going to sort of meet 8 30 on a Monday morning at the Vale and they've got a program in place how will it work not just for you but for all the players who aren't uh, you know close okay. to the Vale of Glamorgan well, my first Monday, I, I left at five to get there. So it was an early start for me, to be honest. So we're, we're obviously talking with the coaches, you know, for the players that do live further away, we're going to try and manage the load and see and see how how we can sort of manage the travel and playing. It does mean that there's going to be some nights where we're going to be based in, based in Cardiff, you know, in a, in a hotel or, or with friends to make it easier. So I guess it's just it's trying it and seeing seeing how it works basically. This will make a sea change of the sort of athletes that you'd have you'd have played against who've had that opportunity for mm-hmm. a few years to be pro. How long do you think? It, I think it's it, hard to hard to say an, an exact time. You know, it, it's difficult. I just think you know it's a step in the right direction. And you've seen with other teams like England how much they've progressed um, being like full time. I just think it's going to be massive. You're going to see results because people are afforded the time to focus fully on committing to rugby and just like sleep and um, recovery is massive. And that's probably something that we, we didn't get before. So, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time, really. And you can hear there just clearly how big a deal this is to the best women rugby players in Wales, allowing them to fulfil their potential. The Six Nations squad will hopefully do the same and they get together next week on the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. But until then, goodbye.